So I have a question for you. It's an exam, a qu- well, a quiz, maybe just a quiz. Anybody remember when we started the book of Genesis? More than 52 weeks ago. Okay, that's, that's close. That's really close. Any others? Rich, you ought to be able to tell us when we started this thing. It was your idea to do Genesis. <laughs> Spoken well, my friend. Any guesses, really? I'll give you a hint. The year, perhaps, 2022? Wow, February 6th. Yeah, so if you want to go back to the very beginning... <laughs> Come on, that was funny. In the beginning. (laughs) If you want to go back to the beginning and listen to those, you can. There are several of those messages. And the reason I wanted to really point that out is because we began looking at Genesis so long ago that we need to keep Genesis 49 in context. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I felt that it would be easier to teach Genesis 1 again rather than Genesis 49. It's the most difficult one. So I'm just going to do Genesis 1. No, I'm just kidding. We are going to look in Genesis 1 here for a moment. It's really important that we put Genesis 49 in context. We're going to see very quickly that Genesis 49 really is a, hmm, it's a compilation of the entire Bible. And so we're going to spend time in 49, but we're also going to spend time in different places in Scripture just so we keep the context of Genesis 49 and really the entire book of Genesis uh, as I said, in context. So, join with me as I read from verse 27 and verse 28 in Genesis 1. I would love to develop the whole thing, but we have very little time, so let's get started. Genesis 1, 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's first message to man was his job description. And it comes in the form of four positive commandments about what man must do. Four things in particular, we read them, here they are. Be fruitful and multiply. Number two, fill the earth. Number three, subdue the earth. And number four, rule over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, God gave us more commands than just that, and so to see the next command he gives us, we have to turn to chapter two of Genesis. This is critical to understanding Genesis 49. So chapter two of Genesis, verse 15 is the next command. Uh, This is a negative command, as we see here. I will put enmity between you, he's speaking to the serpent of old. I will put enmity, strife between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. It's the first negative command. It's a command not to disobey God. Well, so, how'd they do? Could they keep it? Did they eat from that tree? Well, they certainly did. Let's go to chapter three, again, because chapter three, verses one through six, are important. Yes, thank you. Chapter three, verses one through six. Now the serpent was more crafty than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the, tree of the, from the, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it, nor touch it, nor, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, and she took from the fruit and ate it, and she gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate it. So we know that man was banished from the garden, 
yet he still must carry out those four first important commandments, only this time through much turmoil. For the woman, she would have pain in child-rearing and will want to dominate her husband. For the man, the man's ability to feed the family will also be painful and difficult to the extreme. For our first parents, everything at this point in time seemed hopeless. Life was a daily painful grind every single day until the day that they die would be fraught with grief. God to the rescue. God to the rescue. In Genesis 3.15, we just read it, the serpent of old would be done away with. His head would be crushed by the seed that God would raise up through the woman one day. His name is the word of God. His name, when he was born in the flesh, is Jesus. In Genesis 3.15, God promised our first parents hope of salvation that would come through one of Eve's descendants about 4,000 years later, about 3 or 4 B.C. In John 1, verse 14, he became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You see, God designed the Genesis 3.15 seed to travel through wicked people. By the way, whose every intent of the thoughts of their heart was only evil, how often? Continually, Genesis 6.5. Despite Genesis 8.21 and man's evil heart from his youth, God would remain true to his promise. He would raise up a savior to crush the head of that serpent of old. And out of that setting, God chose. God chose a pagan from about nine generations removed from his ancestors, Noah and Shem. You'll recall his name being that of Abram or Abraham from Ur, a carrier he himself, the progenitor of the Genesis 3.15 seed, God called him to leave his homeland and to make his way to modern-day Israel, to them, the promised land. From Abraham, God would make a great nation to be a blessing to every ethnicity that would ever roam this earth. Those that bless his nation will be blessed. And those that curse Abraham's nation will be cursed. Where do we find that? Genesis 12, right? The Abrahamic covenant. From Abraham and Sarah would come Isaac. Let me stress that again. From Abraham and Sarah would come Isaac, the carrier of the Genesis 3.15 seed. From Isaac, the seed would pass through Jacob, the younger of his two sons, God blessed Jacob like Abraham and Isaac. God committed to him that from him a great nation would arise. So in Genesis 28, 13 through 14, God told Jacob, quote, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give it, meaning the land, to you, Jacob, and your descendants, through your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, finally, you say, where's this heading? This is heading to Genesis 49, where Jacob addresses his 12 sons, where? On his deathbed. You ever thought about what you would say to your children on your deathbed? This is Jacob. And it's the first time we see a patriarch addressing his children from his deathbed in the Bible. One commentator rightly notes that Genesis 49 is rather difficult to develop for preaching purposes. That's an understatement. That is a significant understatement. To do this chapter justice requires at least 12 sermons equal to the 12 tribes of Jacob, and for that matter, we could add 12 more sermons just for the tribe of Judah. 
this past week, uh, in two weeks, including this morning, uh, each of our gracious Omega teachers have asked me, how on earth are you going to teach through Genesis 49? There's so much there. And so it was with fear and intrepidation after receiving those questions, it really drove me into, onto my knees and into the text. And I will say to you this morning, without reservation, this is the most difficult sermon that I have ever preached. And I've preached a lot. But this chapter is so full. It's the entire Bible wrapped up into one chapter. I offer no excuses, but just to say that there is so much here. You could say that Genesis 49 is a word picture of 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. You can turn there. I'll just read it to you if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. These brothers were, quote, not many wise, not many noble, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. The weak things of this world to shame the strong, and the base things of this world, and the despised God has chosen so that no man may boast before God. Why on earth would he choose these 12 boys and one of them to be the progenitor of the Genesis 3.15 seed? The Genesis 3.15 seed would travel through only one of those 12 men, in Genesis 49, we read Jacob, a.k.a. Israel's dying words to his sons. Only through one of them will travel this seed that was so well promised by God himself back in Genesis 3.15. Through which would he give his unique son so that all who believe in him would not perish and have eternal life? Worship Jesus is the message for today. Worship Jesus, the worthy lion from the tribe of Judah, because Jesus is the one who alone delivers you from the evil intentions from your heart or in your heart. Our study reveals a whole lot, but I'm gonna camp out on two reasons for worshiping Jesus, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Number one in your notes there, because you fall short and so do I, we fall short of his glory. We're gonna find that out so clearly as we read through these sons. I'm gonna split this up a little differently than you might expect just for ease. We're gonna do chapter 49, one through seven, and then we're gonna skip over Judah and do 13 through 27. Then we're gonna come back to Judah, which is the second point, because the lion from the tribe of Judah alone is worthy. And that's verses eight through 12. So the first reason you must worship Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is because you fall short of his glory. Let's pick up the text there in chapter 49. Join with me there in chapter 49, verse one. And as I said, we're gonna read through verse seven, then we're gonna skip down to verse 13. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it and went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let not my soul enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly because in their anger they slew men and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be your anger for it is fierce, and their wrath is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. The Apostle Paul's statement in Romans 3.23 is an appropriate word picture for the 12 brothers. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Thank you. 
Nevertheless, in Genesis 49, 28, we read these words. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, and he blessed them. Here it is. Everyone with the appropriate blessing to him. An appropriate blessing for every one of them. Jacob addresses each of the 12, but he lauds their memorable characteristics. But there's more to this story than memorializing the traits of these 12 men. In Exodus 20, God commanded his people to place no false gods before him. He demanded that they reject idols, whether of service to them or of worship of them. And then God made one of the most frightening yet encouraging statements in the entire Bible. Parents, future parents, and grandparents, listen. Take heed to God's warning and blessings etched in the stone tablets on Mount Sinai 3,450 years ago in Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. Here's what God says. Because I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Oh, but there's a refreshing word that comes next. But, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep his commandments. Don't let the generations in your household miss that point. Grandparents and parents, it is your responsibility to be faithful to texts like that. You see, God does not punish children for their parents' sins. But it's no secret that children will suffer the consequences of their parents' violations of God's word. You have a high and mighty calling to evangelize and disciple your children and your grandchildren. It's axiomatic that parents who dishonor the Lord raise children who may have contempt for the Bible. Look no further than the outside of the doors of this room in the world. Genesis 49 is historical, but it's also the first prophecy in Scripture spoken by any man, the man being Jacob. Our chapter considers each son's past. In verse 1, prophetically looks towards what would, do you see the word there? What would befall them. Befall, meaning what would happen to them, to not just them, but their descendants. How do we know that? In the days to come. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jacob flawlessly draws connections between his son's behavior and to what would happen to their descendants until, until what? Until the kingdom of the Messiah the eternal reign of the Genesis 3.15 seed, and until the worthy lion from the tribe of Judah. Jacob's blessings on his own son, as revealed throughout history, evidence themselves in each tribe for the past 3,900 years and finally culminate in future history. We call that eschatology. Verse 1, in the days to come as described in the book of Revelation, and through the eternal state. Again, this is future history. The first four sons that are mentioned are from their mother, Leah. And they are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. I want you to picture the scene. All 12 sons are laying down, are, are standing there as their father lay down and addressed them on his deathbed. They listen intently to their dying father's last words. Clearly, he put a lifetime of fatherhood experiences into his final testament. First comes the eldest son, Reuben. Jacob keys on five characteristics about his son, his first little boy. Number one, He's the firstborn child. Number two, Reuben reflects Jacob's might. And number three, he's the beginning of his strength. 
Fourth, he's preeminent in dignity. And five, he is preeminent in power. He was so proud of that little boy when he showed up on the scene. As a young dad, Jacob looked forward to how Reuben would one day turn out his first baby boy. Might Reuben be the one to carry that blessing of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12? There's a sixth one, a sixth characteristic. This characteristic is memorialized forever, and it disqualifies himself from his birthright. It displaces his descendants after him forever in favor of his half-brother, Joseph. You can read more about that in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. That's included in your notes there. Verse 4, Jacob described Reuben as, do you see it there? Uncontrollable as water. There's a word picture for you. What does it mean? In this case, it means insolent. It means undisciplined. It means reckless. It means, think hurricane. Rich is here from Florida. You haven't been through one yet, but maybe, right? Undisciplined as water. I like this. One ancient biblical document translates the Hebrew word undisciplined as water to describe a headstrong woman. Such a woman is uncontrollable. Verse 4, Reuben recklessly committed adultery, incest with Bilhah, his dad's concubine. Think of it another way. It's his brothers, Dan and Naphtali's own mother. Verse 5, Jacob's second and third sons, Simeon and Levi, are next. Would you join me in Genesis 34? Because there's no way to paint this picture better than just to simply read what they did in Genesis 34. We're going to start in verse 26. Jacob never forgot their vigilante-styled justice. Genesis 34, 26. These boys, these men in verse 26, they killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. Jacob's sons come upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city, and that which was in the field, and they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in their houses. These brothers took the law into their own hands, and their father remembered it on his deathbed. And back in Genesis 49.6, Jacob sings, the first verse of Psalm 1, which was written probably 800 years after this incident. The psalmist writes these words, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Jacob will not walk in their counsel. He refuses to listen to Simeon and Levi's wisdom, or lack thereof. David prays in Psalm 64 too. Oh God, hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of workers of iniquity. In verse 7 in chapter 49, Jacob says they will be dispersed. They will be scattered throughout Israel. One of my favorite commentators on Genesis is Alan Ross, and he notes that Simeon was later swallowed up in the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Levi was never given land. But by by God's grace, his grace is greater than all our sin, is it not? God entrusted the Levites as priests and produced many valiant leaders, prophets like Moses. Okay, so now back in verses 13 through 27 in Genesis 49, Jacob identifies number 10 son, Zebulun, and number 9 son, Isaac, are sons of his First wife, Leah. Jacob's blessing for these two men are not an indictment for their past sins, but 
a prophecy about the future of their tribes. Then comes the fifth born son, Dan, in verse 16, the son of Jacob and Bilhah. In the books of Joshua and Judges, each of the 12 tribes of Israel would play an important role in taking over the promised land. As such, they must be obedient to the Lord and fierce warriors doing what God says. The name Dan, what does it mean? It simply means to judge. And his blessing is to judge the peoples. In verse 17, Dan is identified as a crafty serpent, able to wound enemy horses carrying their riders. I should say wound horses carrying enemy riders. <clears throat> as we read through Joshua and Judges, we see that Dan turned out to be a failure. His tribe abandoned their God-given land and they turned their backs on God and they worshiped idols instead. In Deuteronomy 20, 29, verses 17 through 21, God requires that idol worshipers be separated from their tribes. And God himself will blot their names out from under heaven. You read through Revelation chapter seven, you will see the 12 tribes of Israel mentioned, but you will not see Dan's name mentioned among those 12 tribes, and it's probably because they rejected their land and they were idol worshipers. We don't know for certain. That's probably why they're not mentioned. But there's hope. You see God to the rescue. In verse 18 in Genesis 49, do you see it there, 49, 18? Jacob ponders the reality of his son's future and he offers a prayer to the Lord. Verse 18. For your salvation I wait, O Yahweh. Oh, what an island of peace. Like Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, waiting for the comfort, the consolation of Israel, Simeon talks about uh, when laying his eyes on the baby Jesus, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Oh, for so many decades, so many centuries they waited. Jacob pours forth his last words on his sons and admits that salvation is not inherited from parents. Yahweh alone is the only hope of salvation for the members of your family. Are you praying for the lost members of your family? Jacob was burdened for his family. Oh Lord, Yahweh, we wait for your salvation. Verses 19 through 21 addresses three more sons. Number seven son, Gad. Number eight son, Asher. Number six son, Naphtali. Well, Jacob spends little breath on these tribes it seems he's in a hurry to get to Joseph in verses 22 through 26. And you know what? So are we. So off to number 11 son, Joseph, in verse 22. We've spent much time on Joseph over the past few months. And because the clock is unkind to us this morning and I only have three more hours of material, just kidding, let's highlight just a few things in verses 22 through 26. You see, as I mentioned earlier, verse 22 is prophetic. Joseph's family will be fruitful. From his tribe would arise names that you would easily recognize, Samuel from his son Ephraim, Gideon from his other son Manasseh. Verse 22 is a word picture of those who attacked Joseph as with bows and arrows. Do you see the linkage there, verse 22? He plays on that whole thing, and he, he, he uses that whole bow and, arrow, bow and arrow scenario to help them to think of the past. The word harassed there is translated elsewhere in the Bible as persecute. It's translated as bear a grudge in Genesis 27, 41. You would be familiar with that. That's when Esau bore a grudge against Jacob, and he wanted to do what? He wanted to kill him. Wanted to kill him. 
harassed. The word harassed is also used by his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 15, and it appears as the word grudge. Lance will bring light to this next week. The brothers speculated that their attacks on Joseph may cause him to bear a grudge against them, maybe much like Esau, a grudge so significant that he might try to kill them. Well, verse 22 reminds us that the brothers sold Joseph as a slave rather than kill him. Potiphar's wife bitterly attacked Joseph with false accusations of attempted rape, which landed him in prison. Verse 24, God to the rescue. Once again, the mighty one of Jacob rescued Joseph. It gives all the attributes to God himself. God is the savior. God is the hero of the book of Genesis. More specifically, God is the hero for all that happens in these brothers' lives as their dad speaks to them on his deathbed. God is the one to whom he points. Verse 25, God Almighty blesses Joseph, but to what extent? How deeply, how extensive does he bless them? him? Verse 26, more than the blessings of his ancestors. Wow. Uh, Jacob says, you, my son, God has blessed more than Abraham, more than Isaac, and more than me. So much more could be said. Well, in verse 27, Jacob blesses number 12 son, the youngest, Benjamin. Like a ferocious wolf, Benjamin was a warrior. Two of his most famous descendants, you would remember, is the first king of Israel, Saul, and the apostle, Paul, whose name was changed from Saul to Paul. Well, Genesis has certainly taught us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And throughout Scripture, we see God's grace fully on display. Why would he use any one of those 12 boys? I'm stunned. Why would he use me? Because he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. And he uses the most unlikely people to be those who would be proclaimers of the gospel, sinners redeemed by his son, Sin has consequences for every man, woman, and child. For the redeemed, for the repentant, for the forgiven, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, the Messiah, took our sins upon himself on the cross. And he gave us his righteousness as a substitute whereby or by which we are saved. That's grace. That's grace. Well, there's a second reason. You must worship Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and it's the second point on your outline, because you know what? He alone is worthy. Verses eight through 12. As Jacob transitions to Judah, as they're standing around dad's deathbed, this transition takes place. I can imagine there might have been a bit of silence. You could probably hear a pin drop. They might be saying to themselves, looking at one another silently, who's next? Hmm. Judah just watched his three older brothers called out for the sins of adultery, for incest for vigilantism, for looting, and uncontrolled violence. His father says their counsel isn't trustworthy. If you listen to your dad call out your siblings like that on his deathbed, what would you be thinking about what's coming next for you? You're next. Well, Jacob's last words remind Judah of his past iniquities as well? Is he going to throw it in, their, in his face? Judah, what did he do? He sold his dad's beloved son, Joseph, into slavery. 
For several years, Judah deceived his dad, Jacob, into thinking that a wild animal had devoured him. Reminiscent of Reuben, Judah committed incest too. Only he, with his deceased son's Canaanite wife. What? And by the way, he thought was a prostitute. Maybe, maybe Judah just hoped that dad would remember. Maybe he was hoping that dad would have some grace and some mercy and that he, he might remember how he took some responsibility to save the family from a miserable life of starvation, of famine. In Genesis 43, maybe this is crossing his mind, verses 8 and 9, Judah told Jacob that he would take personal responsibility for Benjamin's safe passage to Egypt. He stuck his life on it. He vouched for that other brother, that son. And in Genesis 44, 18 through 34, Judah passionately defended Benjamin and Jacob from certain death and saved his brothers from slavery. Verse 8. Judah's eyes are fixed upon his father as he lay in that bed. His ears absorb his dad's dying words. Would you join me there in 49.8? Listen to Jacob's monologue with Judah. Here's what he says. Judah... Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches. He lies down as a lion, as, as, and as a lion who desires to rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall the obedience of the people. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garment in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are full of wine, full from wine, or should I say dull from wine, and his teeth are white from milk. This is a stunning prophecy. Verse 8 tells, Jacob tells Judah three ways that people will respond to him. This is prophetic. This is eschatological. This is future. Turn with me to Psalm 67. Psalm 67, I like to refer to it as the Great Commission of the Old Testament. Psalm 67, verses 3 through 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations, the ethnicities of the world, be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations of the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the earth may fear him. Turn to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. These are familiar passages, but we must revisit them. These prophecies were not just for his siblings. They were a prayer for all the nations to praise God. In this case, in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, this, this lion this from the tribe of Judah would be the global commander-in-chief, verses 6 through 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of the peace 
or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, will accomplish this. We could go on. Psalm 96, verses 10 and 13. He will judge the peoples with equity. He is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. Again, we're talking about the lion from the tribe of Judah. Psalm 7, 12. If a man does not repent, he, Yahweh, God, will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and he has made it ready. If you have not repented and turned to Christ, that arrow is pointed directly at you at this very moment in time. It's time to trust the Genesis 3.15 seed, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Revelation 19.11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. That lamb that came in the New Testament is coming back as a lion, and he will be vicious. Revelation 19, verses 15 through 16, from his mouth comes a two-edged sword, a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and his robe, and on his robe and on his thigh was written a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the Genesis 3.15 seed about whom God writes, Moses writes, and the whole Old Testament bears witness through the New Testament. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. These, are, these will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who are with him are called the chosen and the faithful. Let's go back to Genesis 49, 8. Verse 8. His father's sons will bow down to him We're picturing the 12 men gathered around there and they're gonna bow down to this sibling of theirs. But this is a messianic prophecy and it covers, encompasses far more than the siblings standing over their father's deathbed. It's all individuals without exception from, from the beginning to the end. All will bow to Jesus. Turn to Philippians 2. Philippians 2.9. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. So that, here it is, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You'll see the same thing, same idea in Romans 14, 11. But back in Genesis 49, verses nine through 10, describes Judah's tribe as a deadly lion. No one should, should rouse him meaning no one should oppose this lion. To do so would be done at one's own peril. Uh, The lion is this tribe's perpetual king from whom the scepter shall not depart until Shiloh comes. And in verse 10, to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples, plural, without exception. This king is the Genesis 3.15 Seed and one blow from his scepter crushes Satan's head. The Hebrew word for Shiloh there in verse 10 is better translated with the words, quote, to whom it belongs, to whom it belongs. John MacArthur agrees. He writes this, Jacob said that 
from his son Judah would eventually come a king who would bless the world. He would be the one called Shiloh, or the one to whom a kingly reign belongs. And to him would be the obedience of the peoples, Genesis 49.10. So from Israel will come a savior who will be king of the world. He will dominate this planet. What more do we know about this dreadful lion? Michael Vlock, in his outstanding book, perhaps you have it. If you don't, I highly commend it to you. His book is titled, He Will Reign Forever. And he describes the power of this king to bring global obedience. Here's what he says. The reference to the obedience of the people is strategic since it indicates the realm of his coming of this coming one extends beyond the tribe of Judah and the 12 tribes of Israel the realm of his rule will include gentiles a ruler will come from the tribe of Judah whose reign will extend over all the earth his rule will not just extend to the tribes of Israel but his reign will be global with that Where else can we turn than Revelation chapter 5? I told you, Genesis 49 encompasses the entire Bible. We're going to Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. This is future history. Our gracious pastor, beloved Tom Pennington, preached on Revelation chapter 5. Maybe you were here November 14th, 2021. I highly commend going back and listening to that. I I listened to it again this week. In that excellent sermon in Revelation 5, Pastor Tom identified the contents of the book of the scroll that Jesus was worthy to open. Let me read the text, and then we'll pick up his comment. Then I saw, in verse 1, in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, a scroll written inside on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, and he asked the question, who was worthy? Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. Then, John writes, I was crying greatly because no one found, was found worthy to open the scroll to look into it. And one of the elders says to me, stop crying. He says, behold, as if to say, look. Do you see it there in the text? The lion. That is from where? Help me. The tribe of Judah. Genesis chapter 49 has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw in the midst of the throne the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took hold of the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one having a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Here's what they sang. Do you see it there? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and purchased for God with the blood from every tribe and tongue and peoples and nations. You made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. In Pastor Tom's exposition of chapter five of Revelation, He identified the contents of the scroll. Do you want to know what it is? The contents of the book that Jesus was was worthy to open. He says it's the the title deed of the earth. Uh, That's why he's the king of all. He's got the title 
deed of the earth. Pastor Tom said this, Jesus alone is worthy to take the title deed of the earth. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah, end quote. And I would add that Jesus is the worthy lion from the tribe of Judah. He is the Genesis 3.15 seed, and he is the only hope of salvation with for whom or of whom Jacob, in verse 10, awaits salvation. John 14.6, you know it well. We await also. I am the way, Jesus said. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 11, verses 25 through 26, you must believe in Jesus. Listen to what he says to you, quote, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he asks the question, and I ask you too, do you believe this? If you refuse to believe this, Jesus says, you will perish. You will perish. You see, authentic belief in Jesus requires repentance. Jesus said it in Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus wants you to know in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, through verse 30, he says these words. Let me preface them by saying, the one speaking here is the Genesis 3.15 seed, the lion from the tribe of Judah. He says this, come to me. It's a pleading, it's it's a begging, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Oh, I love this. He says, I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why, he answers the question, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Genesis 49, with the entirety of all of scripture is summarized with one plea on your notes there, Worship Jesus, the worthy lion of the tribe of Judah, because he alone delivers you from the evil intentions of your own heart. He's calling for you to come. He's calling for you to reach the ethnicities of the world, including your own families with the gospel. Come to the Genesis 3.15 seed. Come to the lion of the tribe of Judah. Father, to you, to you we give praise because you included Genesis 49, not just in the book of Genesis, but the entire Bible to help us to understand who you are and what you expect from your people. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that we see there. We thank you for those brothers who were like us, sinners to the core, yet like us, you would use them for the sake of your name for the glory of your own praise, so that we, so many thousands of years later, would come to know the Genesis 3.15 seed, the ruler over the world, the lion from the tribe of Judah who saves us from our sin. We thank you in his name. Amen.